Well, it's five o'clock in Salford. How are you doing this Thursday? It is me, the BBG, back with you between now and seven o'clock. And I look forward to chatting with you over the course of the next two hours. Drop me a line through the website richieallen.co.uk where it says comment live on the menu bar. Let's do it. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Tis magnificent as well, by the way. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, home of the mighty Salford Red Devils. Amongst many other attractions, it's Salford. Now, Kevin Barrett will be on the line from Wisconsin, not too... Uh, far from now or not too far away Kevin is a journalist, broadcaster, academic and a good old friend of mine I've invited him on to talk about Coyle Rittenhouse and that's because you seem to be very interested in that case I'm not uninterested in it it's just there's lots going on just about now but the jury in this chap's trial is obviously deliberating at the moment it's a big story I suppose in terms of the news media Coyle Rittenhouse and what happened in August of last year. Kevin Barrett has plenty of things to say about it. He'll join me this hour. And I'm sure my second hour guest will also have plenty to say about that, but much more as well. I can't wait to catch up again from Santa Cruz, Arizona. Sheriff David Hathaway, top man, was on the programme some months ago. You wouldn't believe the directives being sent to law enforcement chiefs like David by the Department of Homeland Security. The Department of Homeland Security sending out briefings to sheriffs and to police, to police stations, telling them about domestic terrorism and about conspiracy theorists. Yeah, we'll get into that with Sheriff David Hathaway in the second hour. That'll be Thursday's Richie Allen Show, live from BBG Towers, here in the magnificent city of Salford. And I'll tell you, between me and you, I ain't well, but I'm not getting into it. Because you don't care, and I don't want to be talking about it, so I'm not going to say... I'm going to say naught about it for now, other than this thing that I've been been struggling with. I'm doing all the things you're supposed to do, but it's, uh, it's not going away. But I'm saying no more, and I don't want your sympathy, and I'll tell you something else. I don't want your comments on how I live my life and how I exercise, and I don't want your comments on what I should take. I would like one or two of you who've been sending me messages through the website to show just a little bit of humility and then piss off. All right? All right. I know what I'm doing, you know. I've been doing this alternative media thing for, well, for years and years and years. Uh, I was interviewing people like Mercola before some of you even heard of him. So show a little bit of humility. Stop uh, giving me unsolicited medical advice because I don't want it. Are we clear? Alright. Let's move on. My tongue, by the way, was in my cheek when I was when I was saying that. Most of you mean well, some of you are very rude. You know who you are. Anyway, the former Labour Party leader, Jeremy Corbyn, is taking legal action over a tweet. Now this is really a non entity of a story, but it is. That's a contradiction. There is something in this of interest. Corbyn is taking action against Paul Nickerson. He's a Conservative councillor in East Riding in Yorkshire. Now, he tweeted an an offensive tweet 
about Jeremy Corbyn the other evening. He made it look like Corbyn was carrying a remembrance wreath to the burning taxi outside Liverpool Women's Hospital. You know, there was a failed terrorist attack outside Liverpool Women's Hospital, if you believe that. I don't care. But anyway, this guy tweeted a doctored photograph to make it look like poor Jeremy was laying a wreath at the fiery grave of the would-be terrorists. Now, the guy Nickerson has been suspended by the East Riding Conservative branch. He's deleted the tweet and he's apologised. But Corbyn's solicitors have spoken to PA News and they've said, yes, he's taking legal action over the post. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. One way of looking at it is, is that Corbyn is wretched, right? He's going after a councillor that nobody ever heard of until yesterday. And remember, Corbyn was repeatedly libeled by the UK press when he was leader of the opposition and he did nothing. He did nothing when he was libeled. Trust me, I'm a doctor of libel. I know libel law inside out. It's an area of expertise. One of, one of my only areas of expertise. I know the law inside out. And he had a stone cold case on several occasions against the British broadsheet media for libel. But he did nothing. So he's going after a poor old councillor. So, so you could say he's wretched. Now the other way of looking at it is, of course, is that the councillor is a big boy. And his tweet suggested that Corbyn would have sympathy for the bomber and his motivations when Corbyn wouldn't have any sympathy. But it's interesting, you know, people getting sued for libel because of sending funny memes or not so funny memes if you're Corbyn. What's your best guess? Well, I'll, I'll make a prediction for you. If Corbyn is stupid enough to take the action against the councillor, he will lose. And it will cost them more than a million pounds in barristers' fees. Corbyn will lose. Because it's a, a joke in bad taste. Corbyn's barristers will not be able to successfully argue that uh, Corbyn's standing in the community is in any way taken down or is in any way lessened because of this guy's silly tweet. But anyway. Hey, listen, do you want to hear a grown man cry or pretend to cry? No, it's not me. I don't cry. I'm a tough boy, he says, lying through his teeth, through his tombstones. Let's hear George Monbiot or Monbiot or Monbio. It's Monbiot. This guy, Monbiot, is a journalist and environmental campaigner. He's a climate evangelicist. Evangelicist? What's that? I don't know either. He's a climate evangelical. He was defending the insulate Britain twerps who were marched off to jail for a few weeks. What do you think about that? I've got very mixed feelings about it. I don't want to see people sent off to jail. I really don't. You can't be on the one hand in favour of anti-lockdown protesters and anti-vaccine passport protesters gallivanting around London and then say these people can't pro protest against whatever it is they believe. That's what some people would say to me. But it's a bit more complicated isn't it? When you're stopping people from going about their important daily lives and gluing yourself to pavements. Anyway, some of them are in prison now. One of them is on hunger strike, allegedly. And George Monbiot wanted to defend them and also reiterate the point, dear listener, 
that, um, well, we're all going to die, you know? This is who we are. This is our identity. We're not trying to disguise what we're doing. We're not trying to disguise ourselves from the police. Um, we put our hands up and say, fine, arrest us. We're breaking the law. What they're desperately trying to do, and we really are desperate now, is to say, look, the clock is ticking. Time is running out on the greatest crisis that we've ever faced. You know, we are, it's almost unimaginable what we're facing now. And it, it's very hard to talk about it without crying because it's the end of everything. I mean, it's the end of our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our loves, our hates, everything we've dreamt of for our children, the good world that we want for them, that could go. If, if global systems, Earth systems reach a tipping point. He seemed to be genuinely upset there. I don't think it was a performance. And that's why I, I described this or I, I, likened it, I likened it to religious mania some weeks ago. Religious mania. I talked about an old friend of ours from our Spain days whose first wife, God love her, had religious mania, was convinced the world was going to end and the devil was walking amongst us and got very upset. He he said, think, think Charlize Theron, if that's the actress's name, in The Devil's Advocate. Even though, ironically, in The Devil's Advocate movie, she was right to be uh, in, a, in a state of mania. But um, that's how they sound, these people. They they genuinely believe that we're all going to die if we don't prevent the Earth warming beyond 1.5 degrees. Yet none of it is true. Um, the, the planet will flip from a habitable state to an uninhabitable state. And no, it just won't. Let's leave it there. You heard him bawling anyway, just in case you thought I was exaggerating. George Monbiot, Monbiot there... He got a lovely tweet from Greta afterwards saying, you did great, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Tyranny in Europe, you know the Austrians are locking down the unjabbed, at least for 10 days anyway. It's a fast-moving situation, this, because according to the Telegraph this afternoon, Austria might become the first place in Europe to see full COVID lockdowns reintroduced since the uh, vaccination campaigns were rolled out. So... It's a fast-moving situation in Austria. A couple of days ago, Monday, the unjabbed were told to stay home. Now there are rumours that some parts of Austria will introduce full lockdown. Businesses closed, pubs, restaurants closed, people working from home, and all of that. Now the country's worst-hit provinces, according to the Telegraph, said they would adopt the measures for themselves they wouldn't wait for central government to give the go-ahead. That's in the Telegraph today. Now, the Justice Secretary and Deputy Prime Minister, the karate kid Dominic Raab, was on Julia Hartley Brewer's talk radio show today. Yeah, karate black belt, apparently. I have it on good authority that Dominic Raab is known for constantly bringing it up at gatherings and meetings, slipping into the conversation that he holds a black belt in karate or karate. Just look at the state of him. He couldn't beat Leo Sayer, could he? Let alone Hong Kong Fooey. But anyway, anyway, all banned, by the way, that band now. All that stuff banned. Hong Kong Fooey is banned. Trigger warnings. Penelope Pitstop gone. Trigger warnings. I don't know what the trigger warning is against for Penelope Pitstop being kicked off the air, but anyway, nothing left that's any good. Uh, Rob and Julia Hartley Brewer are good friends. Locking down the unjabbed, Rab wants to, uh, well, Brewer wants to dig down into that 
with the Justice Secretary, Dominic Raab. Finally, I want to ask you about uh, issues related to COVID and uh, how we're going into the next uh, the next few weeks and months. We've seen in Austria a lockdown for the unvaccinated, only 2 million of their population, only allowed to go to work, uh, shopping uh, and, uh, and exercise. Um, in Germany, they're considering a, a similar move. Can you guarantee to me that Britain will never have a lockdown for people who are unvaccinated? Well, look, what I can tell you is, I mean, guarantees are very difficult to give in, in the terms you describe. Well, I can... Guarantees are very difficult to give in the terms you describe. No, then, I won't guarantee that we wouldn't consider telling the unjam to stay in their houses. Well, I can tell you, well, of course, because we're dealing with uh, a fluid situation. But what I can tell you with confidence... Fluid situation. ...is that the vaccine uh, rollout has been exceptionally successful. Uh, the booster programme is now being rolled out at pace, um, as a result of which we're confident uh, in Plan A. And uh, whilst we've got a Plan B there, uh, we've talked about it before, um, we're confident that we're sticking with Plan A. OK, I, I don't understand why in a fluid situation you can't give a guarantee that this country will never have a law where we lock down the freedoms of people because they've chosen not to get medical treatment, but allowing other people to go about their daily business. I would have thought that was in a modern liberal democracy with the history that we have in this country, a really easy guarantee to give. We're not going to be doing anything in the, in the colourful way you describe, but we do have a plan B. Uh, which is in the locker in case, uh, and it's only the responsible thing for government to do to prepare. prepare and, for. and does Plan B still but, include but, vaccine passports, even though but, many of the countries in Europe are currently experiencing a massive spike in cases are countries that have long had a vaccine passport? So we are quite clear that vaccine passports don't prevent the COVID virus spreading. So is, is Plan B still including vaccine passports? Plan B is as it was set out before, but the crystal clear message I want your listeners to understand is we, we're not looking at triggering Plan B because Plan A is working. Mm, liar. Anyway, shall we stay with Julia Hartley Brewer momentarily? I think we should, because she also interviewed a guy called Mark Harris. He's a professor of virology at Leeds University. Listen to this. You see, the the stars are aligning now. Listen. Vaccine passports being brought in. I mean, I mean Northern Ireland has followed suit after Wales and Scotland uh, already. We've seen those across large swathes of Europe. And now the use of uh, this sort of, two, you know, two-tier society where you've got medical apartheid. If you're vaccinated, you can live a relatively normal life. If you're unvaccinated, you can only go to work, go out to exercise and buy essential goods. Other than that, you're trapped in your home. Um, how does this tackle covid well, I think the, the the problem is that, you know, well, it's not a problem. Vaccination works. It really does prevent disease. It prevents people being hospitalised. She should have stopped him right there and said it doesn't prevent disease. Let's just pretend that everything the government has said and its scientific advisors and the medicines and healthcare regulatory agency said, let's pretend all of the things they said are true. Let's jump into their world. He's wrong. By their own admission, it doesn't prevent anything. So she should have jumped all over that. It, it, it looks after the NHS and, and, and it's, it's working, it's safe, it's effective. It's not safe. And so what we need to do is try and persuade those people who are, who are not vaccinated to, to get vaccinated. And I think then the problem will, will diminish. So that this, is, this is the issue. That, that we're... So the unvaccinated are holding everything up. Right, we need to persuade the unvaccinated to have the jabs and then this problem will go away. Hold on a minute. I mean, yes, the vaccines work. I'm double jabbed. Delighted that my parents in their 70s have had their boosters as well. Um, but you're talking about this is about to try and persuade. Um, 
banning people from leaving their homes in a in a lockdown just for people who are unvaccinated that's not persuasion is it that's i mean that's that's force that's that's almost mandating uh, uh, um vaccines isn't it as a medical professional surely all healthcare under you know nuremberg rules for goodness sake all healthcare should be you know freely chosen and and with informed consent rather than being forced on people so they can go and live a normal life Mark, absolutely. I'm not. I'm not in favour of, of mandatory vaccination. I'm not in favour of these partial lockdowns. But you know, the, as you call it, medical apartheid. So, select- right. So, yeah, you're with, you're with us, Mark. Selecting those people who haven't been vaccinated. What we have to do is is maintain the pressure on people to get vaccinated. And persuade. Them. <laughs> we have to maintain the pressure on people to get vaccinated. Go on, Julia. Maintain. Should- yeah, you see, but maintain the pressure. Um, yeah. But I mean, a lot of this is, I mean, lots of people, there are people who are conspiracy theorists who think, you know, Bill Gates is injecting something into them. There are people who are uh, fearful. Yeah, yeah. She goes on to a, a ramble, which is unnecessary, giving the various reasons why people don't want the vaccine. Ultimately, she says it doesn't really matter why they don't want it. They shouldn't be forced to have it. Love it. Just keep applying the pressure. And that's what's happening at the moment. Apply the pressure. Listen to the Welsh Health Minister, Eluned Morgan. On Kay Burley's Sky News programme today, Eleanor Morgan. Now, the Welsh are looking increasingly likely to be following the Northern Irish in applying the COVID passports, the vaccine passports, to lots and lots and lots of different venues. Eleanor Morgan in conversation with the Ginger Ninja. Okay, our friends in Northern Ireland from the 13th of December, they have decided that if you want to go into a club or a bar or a restaurant, you're going to have to show a Covid pass. That's quite controversial. How do people of Wales feel about it? Well, we've already introduced the COVID pass into several settings, including nightclubs and uh, big events, football stadiums, for example. And recently, from last Monday, we extended that to uh, cinemas and theatres. What we haven't done this time, uh, which was something which was a possibility, is to extend that into the hospitality setting uh, because those rates have come down. But we will be keeping an eye on the situation, keeping that uh, under review as we enter the Christmas period. Uh, but hopefully, if, if these rates continue to fall, uh, then, then we won't have to do that. Uh, we are concerned, though, about the pressure on the NHS, which is genuinely very, very intense at the moment. So are you setting the bar on whether you're going to introduce those passes or not? Where's the bar going to be? Uh, As ever, it's set in terms of whether the NHS will become overwhelmed or become under severe pressure. But it will, though. Well, But of course it'll be overwhelmed and come under severe pressure for reasons given on this programme many, many, many times and many times again and many times over. Not enough beds, half the beds that you had 30 years ago. Millions of people that weren't treated last year for things that need treatment now. You know, no care homes and uh, no carers or not as many to treat elderly folks when they need to be discharged for, for, from hospitals, meaning they won't be discharged. No care home place if they need one, maybe. And no carer to visit in the home. So it's a guarantee it's going to come under pressure. COVID has got nothing to do with it. Uh, we've got other factors, of course, that are, are pushing the NHS. Uh, we're expecting a very intensive flu period, possibly. They're expecting a very intensive flu period. Why is that? Possibly, uh, but also they're, they're just people who've perhaps uh, saved up their problems during the pandemic and now they're coming forward. 
people who saved up their problems during the pandemic and now they're coming forward. It isn't a parody. You heard her say that. People who saved up their problems during the pandemic and now have decided it's time to spend to spend that currency. You have been hoarding kidney stone problems and bowel problems and a dicky ticker. I've been hoarding that for about 18 months now. Now's the time to go and deal with it. Mad stuff. Listen to the end of this news report, a sports news bulletin on the BBC today about the Australian Open Tennis Tournament, which takes place every January in Melbourne. Sure does. Listen to this. It's about Novak Djokovic. However, it is not yet clear or Djokovic here if the world number one Novak Djokovic will be there to defend his title at the Australian Open as he reiterated his stand about freedom over choice about taking the COVID vaccine. The Victorian Premier, Daniel Andrews, says that international players who haven't received both doses of the vaccine will be denied entry into the state. Djokovic has repeatedly declined to disclose his vaccination status. It doesn't really matter uh, whether it's vaccination or anything else in life. You should have the freedom to choose to decide what you want uh, to do. In this particular case, what you want to put in your body. So uh, I'm, I've been always a proponent of that and always a supporter of freedom of choice. And uh, I will I'll be always supporting that because freedom is essential for... Um, I'd say, a, a happy and, and, and prosperous life. Yes, the, the, the Premier, of course, doesn't, as mentioned in the news report, there in the, in the sports report, is saying that the unjabbed won't be allowed into the state, so he may not be defending his title there in January. Let's see if anybody blinks there. Let's see if somebody blinks. I don't expect Djokovic to blink. It seems that he's nailed his colours pretty firmly to the mast. He's not going to be told that he should have a jab by anybody so he's not likely to bend it'll be interesting to see if they bend again based on the fact that he's one of the world's most uh, recognisable athletes and the best tennis player on the planet at the moment although I've had this argument many 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 times if they're all 29 years old in their prime Federer beats them 99 times out of 100 doesn't he that's just me maybe I'm wrong Maybe it's Andy Murray. Now, now I am delirious. I'm delirious. Comment live, richieallen.co.uk on the menu bar. Talk to me. Let me know what you're thinking. Kevin Barrett will be talking about Kyle Rittenhouse shortly. Again, you might be... Genuinely, you have a genuine right to ask, why now, Richie? Well, look, I'm fed up with talking about COVID. <laughs> That's what it is. We talked very briefly about that Rittenhouse thing when it happened back in August last year. But look, the jury is out now on the guy. Before Kevin says hello, I'll give you a very brief summary of what's been going on and, and then you can make your mind up. We'll talk to Kevin about other things as well. Later on in the programme, Sheriff David Hathaway will be live from Santa Cruz, Arizona. I might have a bit of brain fog now during the programme. I might say something that doesn't make much sense. He'll bear with me. Then you might say, well, that's pretty much every... Uh, the par for the course, you might say, Richie. <laughs> I like to think it's not par for the course, but fair enough. I hear you. I hear you. Chris says that anyone who says vaccination works, anyone who starts their answer with vaccination works should be laughed off the air. And anything they say must be uninformed rubbish. I thought Brewer allowed him away with that. You know, again, by their own concession. 
their jabs don't stop anybody getting sick by their own concession. Julia could have jumped all over it there. Indeed. Angela says, Today an elderly gentleman at work showed me that he has, at her place of work, showed me that he has four cancerous growths on his head. They seem to have appeared from nowhere. Says Angela, his doctor has told him that it is sun damage. Sun damage. That's interesting because the Daily Mail ran a story today about a woman who had a very cute little dimple. Not a dimple. She had a cute little freckle. And it, it was in the shape of a heart. And she was thrilled with it because it looked cute and pretty. But her doctor said it was a melanoma. And then she said it's because she was in the sun too often when she was younger. I have had people on this programme over the years, people with impressive academic credentials. They have said to me, now they wouldn't be in the majority now, but they've said to me, and that's why we do we do this programme, to give the minority academic opinion a bit of an airing. But they've said to me over the years that the, you, you, you shouldn't get cancer from the sun. Even if you get a lot of sun, it shouldn't give you skin cancer. And uh, yeah, every time I did those shows over the years, there was always somebody to say, ah, oh, you're putting the Cracker Jacks on, you're, the, the, the Quacks on. I'm like, yeah, but they've got really impressive academic credentials. They think the sun is a good thing. Obviously not if you lie out in it for too long. I remember during our days in Spain, every now and then during the summer, some poor Egypt would get pissed right up on pina coladas or Cuba Libres, God love him, or, or and fall asleep on their stomach on the beach. They would fry. And that's sore, that, you know. Skin grafts and stuff. It's not funny. It's not funny. I can't get into my own website. The volume of traffic is absolutely massive. We're doing everything we can about it. I can't help it. I'm sorry. The only upside to that is the stream is now capable of holding about half a million listeners at any one time. The stream itself is never going to drop out. So he says, tempting fate. But the website thing, there's a massive volume of traffic on the website now. I can't do anything about it right now, okay? Don't be whinging to me. As the great Furio Junta used to say to to people that he would collect money from, don't bitch to me, huh? Don't bitch to me. Because I won't take any of your bitching, so I won't. It's 26 and a half minutes past the hour. The Richie Allen Show is the world's most listened to independent news radio show. I'm the BBG, Richie Allen, in Salford at BBG Towers. Kevin Barrett joins me shortly. Later on, Sheriff David Hathaway. Your comments to richieallen.co.uk. He says with a big smile on his face. The website will come back eventually. Shaka Khan. Rufus and Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. Half five it is. Uh, the song is Ain't Nobody. Drive time in the UK. The northwest of the UK. Light drizzle. That's par for the course. Speaking of par for the course. Before we welcome my great friend, and I do mean great friend, Kevin Barrett, back to the programme, let me give you the the cliff notes. The cliff notes. It's an amazing story, this, if, if, if it's true. I work on the basis that I just don't have a clue as to what's going on. Look, on August 25th last year, very bizarre story, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was talking to a guy from the Daily Caller website which is allegedly a right wing. I've never read anything on the Daily Caller website. Uh, not that that matters, right? And he was talking about running into danger. I'm running into danger, he says, because there was a lot of unrest in Kenosha 
I hope I pronounced that right, Kenosha, Wisconsin, Kenosha, Wisconsin, because of the shooting of a black man called Jacob Blake. Tensions were high, right? So this guy on August 25th, Kyle Rittenhouse, is talking to a reporter from the Daily Caller, and he says, I'm going to get involved because people are getting injured. I have a rifle. He had a rifle on his back. If there's somebody hurt, he says, I'm running into harm's way. I also have my medical kit, he says. This is some story, this. A couple of hours after that, the guy from the Daily Caller found himself wrapping his T-shirt around the head of a man that Kyle Rittenhouse had just shot in the head, obviously. So Rittenhouse ran away, and as he did run away, he was chased. Somebody hit him with a skateboard. Rittenhouse shot that guy dead. Somebody pointed a handgun at him, and Rittenhouse shot him in the arm. Now, the trial has just ended, and it's international fascination with this. Did the guy act in self-defence as he was attacked first, seemingly, or was he reckless in going into this area with a gun, and did he provoke the violence? Now, the jury continued to deliberate, and um, who better to ask than the legend of Madison, Wisconsin, himself, the academic, the broadcaster, the writer, and... uh, uh, an expert on theology, I would say. Another string to his bow. Let's welcome back to the programme, truthjihad.com, my friend Kevin Barrett. Kevin, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Richie. Love talking with you. Uh, as always, mate, me too. The feeling is mutual. What a story this is. It, it almost reads a bit like a film script. Now, I'm not saying I don't believe any of it. I just don't know. But I do know that um, I've got kind of caught up in, in the last couple of days. The international... Media attention is is I think it's as big, you know. Even going back to when O.J. Simpson was on was on trial, what's really going on here? In 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 your view, Kevin, give us the lowdown on what's happening there. Well, I think it's been hyped because it pits these two sides against each other. We've seen a divide and conquer operation mounted against the U.S. working class, or really just about everybody who works for a living, as opposed to the oligarchs. They don't want us to notice that they're picking our pockets. So they want us to get all excited about culture wars issues and sexual identity politics and 12 flavors of gender pronouns and all this sort of nonsense. And so this particular incident was perfect for this divide and conquer thing because they had the, you know, it all came out of uh, Black Lives Matter protests uh, over the shooting of Jacob Blake. And they pitted, you know, these people who were out there protesting and some of them rioting against the people who were uh, horrified by the riots and wanted to protect the businesses and property and so on, like Kyle Rittenhouse. And so they basically have a new civil war going here. And the emotions that get caught up when people identify really strongly with one side or the other make this a perfect kind of a, a Hollywood spectacle to enthrall the masses and get them extremely emotional and once again, uh, it's bread and circuses so that they don't notice that the banksters just sold, stole maybe somewhere upwards of six, seven, eight, maybe upwards of $10 trillion with uh, this uh, COVID transfer of wealth to the upper echelon. Uh, and so we have these bread and circuses now every day, uh, the Rittenhouse trial and so on. And maybe there'll be more riots when the verdict comes in and we can all stay hypnotized by that and uh, not notice that we're being taken to the cleaners. We'll talk about that in a minute, the prospect of more riots. That makes a great deal of sense to me because I always leave room for the genuine possibility that because of the media hype, because of social media, because of everything, I leave room for the possibility 
that a young man might have lost the run of himself, might have lost, I don't mean lost his mind, but lost the ability to be reasonable and ran into an area with a gun. I can buy that. However, the independent media is an interesting place and there are some men and some women and some of them, we, we like them because they're, they're, they're pretty shrewd. They look at these things and they say, more often than not, the entire thing is one staged event. Do you have any sympathy for that? Sure, because the media lies to us so often. And what we're fed always is turned into some kind of a spectacle or almost a theatrical kind of uh, good versus bad story. Uh, the, the way that they, they take messy reality and turn it into narratives is so artificial anyway that, you know, every now and then we have to suspect that, you know, maybe they're staging the whole thing. You know, we do know that all sorts of very powerful and compelling, you know, supposed news stories were staged completely. The classic example is the uh, that uh, Torches uh, March that the women did after uh, Sigmund Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays, had figured out a way to double the profits of the cigarette manufacturers by brainwashing women into smoking. Yeah. And he knew that you couldn't talk them into smoking rationally. So instead, uh, he created this Torches of Freedom March where he had the women go out in a big throng for the cameras and light their cigarettes, their torches of freedom. And he knew from his work with his nephew or his, his uncle, Sigmund Freud, that uh, the cigarette is like a smaller cigar, right? So it's like yeah. a slightly smaller phallus. So the women were seizing the phallus symbolically, and this is all going on in their unconscious minds. They're being brainwashed below the level of consciousness to double the profits of the cigarette manufacturers. And so that was staged. That was not a real Torches of Freedom march by feminists. It was created by Edward Bernays. And undoubtedly, there have been dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of other such uh, PR stunts that were totally concocted. They were not just actual happenings in the street being covered by the media. They were created to produce a particular story in the media. So yeah, I do sympathize with those people, but I don't think they were right about this particular case. Yeah, me neither. But but both of us stand to be proven wrong. It It, it might happen. Wow, you brought up Torches of Freedom. I've not thought of that for many, many years. What a great analogy. What a great example. You've got the professor, the professorial head on you this afternoon, uh, Dr. Kevin Barrett. Fascinating. I'll tell you what fascinates me. As a guy who started off, like everybody else in radio, in local radio, I was sent down the local courthouse on Fridays because that's when the court was in session in Waterford and sat there and sometimes was very amused by the the very kind of misdemeanor type crimes that were being heard about in the court. I took, you know, I took a real fascination in the reporting of court cases. Now, I find fascinating. I was watching a bit of Tucker Carlson the other day. Now, the jury had retired, fair enough. You might say Tucker's entitled now to give his own opinion because the jury has retired and they won't hear him. But that being said, even before the case began, and even during the case, the the commentariat in in the American media are saying outlandish stuff, Kevin. Now, look, I'm the ultimate advocate of free speech, and I'm not going to say but, you know, responsibly, because that sounds terrible. I think around court cases, I think you have to be very careful about what you say and how you say it, you know, in in an effort not to prejudice any jury, I suppose I've gone on, I've gone around the, the bushes now, and all I had to say to you really was: Is there any chance in hell that this guy 
uh, could Rittenhouse could get a fair trial? Really? That's that's a good question. Uh, I I think that it it looks like the judge is trying to do his job, uh, and you know whether trials in the American judicial system are ever going to be fully fair. That's a, a philosophical question, I guess. But yeah, the media uh, inflaming people's passions around this case does make it a lot harder for the trial to be genuinely fair. And not only do these jurors have to worry about, or the the people, I guess the judge has to worry about the jurors getting all kinds of messages from the media, uh, including emotional inflaming messages from whichever side of the cultural divide maybe they or their family members happen to be on, but also it's possible that these jury members might be concerned that if they deliver the wrong verdict, uh, more riots will break out and more people might die and it would all be their fault. Um, it's There are those who think that may have happened in some other uh, trials. So they, they have quite a load on their shoulders. And I don't know. I mean, are we allowed to say what we think about a particular trial? Uh, and as you know, as alternative journalists, can we report on it? Of course. So I guess the the big time, big money journalists have the right to do that as well. But uh, the the kind of cheap exploitation approach to it is uh, seems a little morally dubious to me. And then at the end of the day, uh, you know, whether this was a fair trial or not is probably going to be debated for a long time. For years. And before we move away from this, and I might ask you for an opinion on Julius Jones. Now, if you're not following that, you can tell me and we can move on to something else. But I'm fascinated by that story as somebody who spent some years in my late teens and 20s as an anti the capital punishment campaigner, and you know this because I told you before, but you made a very good point. Irrespective of the decision reached by the jury, there's going to be violence, isn't there, Kevin, after this? Well, probably so. Um, I would guess that there's going to be this weird sort of like left versus right, or I guess it's it's more sort of Antifa versus Proud Boys kind of yeah. theatrical violence that pops up in places like Portland and other places these days, which you know, I don't really understand it. You know, when I was coming of age, you know, you know, I was young enough to, you know, have those surges of testosterone that might get me interested in street fighting. Uh, back in those days, I don't remember anything like this, really. I guess there were some cases where the hippies versus the hard hats were involved in, you know, Vietnam era protests. I was a little young for those protests, though. So, when I was at South Africa protests, or even when I more or less participated in some Rodney King protests that turned into riots in San Francisco, and I was not part of the riots, but I was out there doing the protests. I had a chip on my shoulders against police at that time uh, after having been uh, abused by uh, cops for no particular reason and, and actually permanently injured. I still have a carpal tunnel from the, the very tight handcuffing and dragging me around for an hour or half an hour to an hour. Uh, I, I was uh, very much part of that demonstration, but I don't remember counter demonstrators who were coming to fight. Right? I never saw any case personally of two different sides uh, of a political dispute coming out in public to fight each other, especially and then having cops, you know, not even be involved. For me, it was always like basically cops versus demonstrators. And if a demonstrator is violent, then you assume he's an undercover cop. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. now the rules have changed, apparently. So this is a whole new world. And, you know, I'm not sure if I like it. Me neither. Kevin Barrett is our guest. TruthJihad.com. I'm going to ask you about 
the the trend in Europe for locking up those who have refused the COVID jabs. I kind of have a feeling, I know what you'll say, but our listeners will be very keen to hear Kevin Barrett, who's an academic college professor, writer, author, uh, as I said, theologian, no doubt, I I would would give Kevin that uh, moniker as well. And uh, before we talk about that, though, I'm fascinated by this story because there's been a trend in the last few years of big emotional documentaries, real-life documentaries. Netflix have uh, I've probably started the ball rolling with Making a Murderer, which I got very much, I, I invested myself big time in that story. And I also looked at a lot of the paperwork myself privately and all of that. But anyway, um, a guy called Julius Jones is set to be um, executed this evening. Well, it'll be this evening here, it'll be four o'clock in, in Oklahoma. He was sentenced to uh, death for killing a gentleman called Paul Howell during a carjacking back in 2002. He's always maintained he's innocent. Some people would say, don't they all, right? Um, it's desperate stuff at the moment. They're waiting to hear from the governor of Oklahoma there. School kids walked out of Oklahoma City high schools across Oklahoma today in support of clemency for this gentleman, Mr. Jones, Julius Jones. This is a very emotional case, of course, as well. Uh, in October, so only last month, he was among five people who won stays of execution from a three-judge panel of the 10th Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals. Celebrities including Kim Kardashian, who's probably one of the most instantly recognisable TV personalities in the world, have all come out in favour of him. And we go back to the documentaries. ABC did a, did, did a documentary called The Last Defence in 2018 and it went viral and more than 6 million people signed a, a petition to free Julius or put him back, at least for the moment, back to life imprisonment. There's so many different aspects of this, Kevin. You know, the first one being like, when you set out to make a documentary, now I know you've been involved in documentaries, I know you have. I have as well. Documentary makers are very subjective, aren't they? They usually are very subjective. So whoever made this documentary, The Last Defence, is convinced that Julius Jones is innocent. And you talked about Edward Bernays a few minutes ago. We know that documentarians, we know that TV companies can be very persuasive in terms of how they film and particularly how they edit their documentaries. Um, so, But everybody gets involved and we all feel sorry for Julius and we think he's innocent. But the fact is he might not be innocent. How do you see this case and the kind of phenomenon of of Netflix-type uh, documentaries declaring somebody to be innocent and then all the viewers getting wrapped up in it? I tell you what, it's an interesting one for um, for a sociologist, I suppose, to look at. Yeah, so I guess the closest I've seen to anything like that would be the Thin Blue Line which was uh, about one of these cases where the cops got the wrong guy. And, what, you know, once the cops and their friend, the DA, latch onto somebody, they never let go. They're like a pit bull. And even if evidence comes in that should change their mind, they stick with that initial assessment of the person's guilt and they just see their job as convicting the guy. And so that does mean that there are uh, predictably uh, going to be a certain percentage of people convicted of crimes who are innocent. And it, it has to do with the way the system works. The system, of course, also uh, cannot afford a jury trial for even a small percentage of people who are uh, being uh, prosecuted. So they have to pressure people to take plea bargains. And to do that, they grossly overcharge people. And again, the, the police and prosecutor side of the establishment sees their job as just solving the case by fingering somebody and making sure that person gets convicted. 
so I wouldn't be at all surprised if Julius Jones really is innocent. And then again, I wouldn't be surprised if he isn't. I haven't seen the documentary. I haven't studied the case. Uh, and even people who do study these cases sometimes have a hard time really knowing what's going on. Uh, but I guess in the, in the big picture, you know, two two issues there would be one, the death penalty is a pretty uh, hard thing to do over when you suddenly find evidence that the person was innocent. So the presumption should be, obviously, we don't want to be executing people uh, in that kind of situation where there's any doubt whatsoever. And uh, and then another one is that this whole hysteria right now around uh, these kinds of cases, it seems to me there's a bit of a a kind of a, a one-sided uh, reaction uh, in in the two two sides of the culture war. One side, sort of the the liberal and more and more sort of the establishment side, is obsessed with historical racial injustices. So they're very sympathetic to uh, black uh, people who are abused one way or another, accused of crimes that they may or may not have committed, uh, shot by police in arguably dubious circumstances, and things like that. Uh, and then on the other side, you have the conservatives and the white identitarians. Uh, some of these people are white people who feel like they're losing their country. Demographically, they're about to become a minority when they were an 80 percent majority as recently as 1980. And so they're freaked out about that. And then they also uh, know and in some cases speak out about the fact that the crime rate is extremely uh, sort of racially charged in that. Uh, the African-American community uh, is responsible for uh, a, a wild, uh, wildly uh, over-representation, uh, uh, over-represented over preponderance of certain kinds of crimes, especially street crime, in the same way that the Jewish community is wildly over-represented at the top echelons of the criminal cartels that run the mainstream media, uh, the financial sector, and indeed organized crime itself. Now, the, what I just said is utterly taboo. You're not supposed to say it, but it's just basic fact. Look, if you study crime statistics, unless they're being completely fudged, which some of my friends in the Nation of Islam think, uh, the, the black community is really a big time hotbed of crime. And I think a lot of people know that and other uh, communities don't want to live in in or close to majority black neighborhoods because of this. And this is unspoken in, in because you're not allowed to say it in public in America uh, but even all the people, all the, the non-black people who don't say it uh, flee black neighborhoods because of it. So this is something that I think maybe needs to be talked about. And I personally blame this problem of uh, black crime on the folks who destroyed the black family back around circa 1960, uh, when the, the welfare laws changed to basically bribe black women to have children out of wedlock. And suddenly you went from an you know, 80 or 90 percent legitimacy rate down to the current maybe 25, 30 percent legitimacy rate. Uh, and that leads to children being raised in horrible circumstances. And you end up with a community with all of these pathologies. Let's face that reality and let's try and fix it. Yeah, we had you speak about welfare law changes. We for, for a long time in Ireland, unmarried mothers or single women who had children were financially taken care of, you know. Uh, for being in in that situation, of course, they would have been white Irish women, but that's another story for another day. I'm not getting into the Jewish oligarchs and the Jewish people at the top of TV and banks because we've had these arguments too many times before. I respect your opinions, of course. Kevin Barrett is our guest. Tell you what, Kevin, it's getting spooky. I'm quite I'm closer to Austria and Germany than you are, my friend. Um, earlier this week, people who have who have, to this point, refused a COVID jab, 
they've been told by the Austrian government to stay at home or face fines of a thousand four hundred euro. Now it's one thing to say very difficult to enforce that it's a lot of hot air, but the fact is they've they've put it they've said it, you know they've declared it. It has been decreed. Uh, we could there's a million adjectives I could use. This is beyond we we've never lived through anything like this. At least I haven't. What do you think? What do you think when you hear that stuff coming out of Europe? Stay home. No participation in society for you if you haven't had the job. Well, that's completely insane. My friend Jimmy Walter had to flee the United States after he was the one and only philanthropist who donated significant money to the 9-11 Truth Movement circa 2005. And he got threatened and he had to flee for his life to Vienna, Austria. And now he might have to flee right back to Florida, where he was before, no way. because uh, he, he's facing a, a lockdown uh, future now. It's, uh, there are a lot of good reasons why people might be leery of getting the jab. Um, now, you know, people who are over 80 and or have major cor- comorbidities, well, maybe that wouldn't be such a great idea for them. But for uh, may, probably the majority of the population, I think has good reason to think twice about these jabs, because the fact is we just don't know what the long-term effects might be. And there are a lot of indicators that suggest that they might not be so good. Um, if, if, And especially since the vaccines start to wear off after six months, maybe a little less even, uh, and you're just going to have to get boosted every six months for the rest of your life. And if each shot uh, has, say, a 1 in 10,000 chance of causing uh, a de- death through some kind of heart disease or circulatory system issue. That may not sound like much, but if the whole population is getting boosted every six months, it could really add up. And that might explain why the uh, all-cause mortality statistics seem to show that highly vaccinated populations ha- are having slightly higher all-cause mortality right now than less vaccinated populations. And like, and the highly vaccinated populations are not even doing better overall uh, with COVID than the less vaccinated populations. And, you know, everything I'm saying right now could be called medical misinformation. No, it YouTube isn't. It's a fact. <laughs> what, what you're saying is a fact. And you're applying your critical thinking faculties to this as a university professor. And I know that you've taken a more moderate approach to the whole COVID thing and the vaccines than many other people, including myself in the independent media. So it's pretty honourable of you to make those points. Yes, the vaccinated populations are, are doing are not doing well or not doing as well as the unvaccinated in terms of overall mortality for different things. The VAERS, V-A-E-R-S system you've got there in America for reporting, the yellow card system here indicates that the jobs are causing harm. So fair play to you for, for, for saying that, Kevin. And yet they are pulling out all the stops to coerce people into having these jabs. So again, using those critical thinking faculties, university professor hat on you, there's something very wrong then, isn't there? There sure is. And it makes you wonder, you know, what's wrong? I mean, there are basically two explanations. There's the, uh, the relatively innocent explanation and the not so innocent one. The innocent explanation is that we're just living through a period of extreme groupthink and mass hysteria triggered by fear of death. The media has been terrorizing everybody into uh, being afraid of COVID and afraid that they and their loved ones will die of COVID. And we all know from terror management theory, 
uh, which is a branch of psychology that looks at people uh, becoming anxious, experiencing anxiety when they're reminded of their own mortality, that uh, people can be stampeded into all sorts of irrational behavior when they are in fear for their life, when they're reminded of the fact that someday they themselves will die. So that's the innocent explanation. It's a case of total mass hysteria. Uh, and these people are latching on to vaccines as the salvation for this scary, scary situation where we might all die. Uh, and if anybody doesn't uh, reinforce their belief that vaccines are going to save the day, then those people are going to be demonized. So, so that's one innocent explanation for what we're seeing. And of course, the, the paranoid conspiracy theorist explanation is that there's some kind of nefarious reason why the powers that be want to get everybody jabbed. You know, it, it's not science. The science would not tell you to do this. The science would tell you to jab the people with uh, comorbidities or the old people and not everybody else. In fact, the science would tell you, you want the kids to get COVID. You wanna spread COVID as fast as you possibly can among the little kids and the super healthy people under 30 and build up a long lasting herd immunity. But no, instead we have this insane push to vaccinate everybody and then some. And, and so it's natural that the, uh, the more paranoid people among us, including some of my own friends, uh, are completely convinced that there's a terrible, nefarious agenda here. It's depopulation. They're going to kill everybody. Everybody who gets vaxxed is going to die. And I find that personally to be highly unlikely. Uh, me too. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm or, with or maybe you. they're going to be uh, sterilized. And that's maybe a little less unlikely. Or, you know, have, at least have their fertility uh, impaired a little bit. Should I should I qualify that? I think it's, it's, it's a bit far-fetched for right now, but I think... There is a longer term depopulation agenda. I believe this. I'm not saying it's true because I can't do that, but I do believe it. I I I I look at the climate change agenda and I I I add I add it all up. The things they want us to do, all of these solutions for these problems, these you know the climate crisis or the COVID crisis, the solutions are basically dystopian realities, creating dystopian realities where people where their movement is very limited, where they are tracked 24-7, where we, we live under a new judicial system of social crediting. All of these things are terrible. You know, we don't heat our homes in the winter just as, you know, as well as we as we could do. Climate lockdowns, they're advocating now, and they are. They're looking at them in India, and they have been mentioned by the, by the um, World Health Organization. So I think they do want to do that, Kevin. I think they do want to get rid of lots and lots and lots of people. I, I do believe these mRNA and later these DNA jabs are not meant to be good for us. And I think the whole spike protein thing where, you know, ultimately you get these jabs and then next year or the year after a fairly innocuous infection is airborne. Um, but your body reacts to it in a way that's very bad for you. Too many really qualified epidemiologists have said that to me on my programme, and they're just as qualified as you were in your field. So I, I really do believe it, but I don't believe that they're so stupid as to give everyone a jab now that's going to kill them. So I'm, I'm with you on that. But I think, I think it is really, really, really nefarious. And, uh, and I don't know what to do about it. I mean, when, when they start talking about imposing draconian measures like telling you you can't leave your home if you don't take their their job listen i wouldn't want to insult anybody that ever you know that was ever rounded up and put in a concentration camp they did it to the japanese they did they did it to jews they did it to many peoples i've not experienced that but it sounds like we're not far away from it kevin of taking the unhealthy and putting them in a 
well, in maybe not in a big camp with lots of barbed wire, but putting them somewhere else. Leper colonies almost for the unjabbed. That's the sort of stuff that's coming to my mind now. And I'm not overtly paranoid. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, with, with what's going on now, uh, we should all be pretty paranoid, really. Uh, and yeah, I, I agree with you. There's very likely a depopulation agenda at work. I interviewed Kevin Galloway. Uh, I think his book might even be called The Depopulation Agenda. Uh, and he makes a very strong case that it's been going on for decades and decades since World War II. The bankster elites got together and recognized the Malthusian problem they faced with population growth and resource consumption, threatening uh, the ecosystem stability. So they started doing things like dosing water with fluoride uh, and uh, otherwise poisoning people in the West to reduce their fertility. And they also did all sorts of things, nefarious things in, in the third world as well. And so those people would be expected maybe to be upping the ante right now uh, with the global warming hysteria and the population uh, of the planet being what it is. So I don't think it's really particularly outlandish to hypothesize that something like that could be going on. I would expect it would be like the Dan Brown novel and, and the film they made out of it, Inferno, where the Inferno virus, which we first think is going to kill everybody, turns out, no, it's just going to sterilize nine out of 10 people. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe COVID will maybe sterilize. I would, I, it might just reduce fertility further, just like some of these other agents, including things they put in plastics and, uh, and fluoride and things like that have already done. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And, it, and it might kill a certain number of people too, of course. Yeah. And it might explain why they seem almost um, rabidly determined. I would say rabid in their determination to vaccinate pregnant women, women who are already pregnant. I mean, normally they wouldn't give a paracetamol. They wouldn't give anodin or, um, you know, Robitussin. They wouldn't give to a pregnant woman, but but they're really pushing uh, this jab. It's always fascinating to talk to, to you, Kevin. I always mention truth at jihad.com. Is there somewhere else I should mention? Thanks for your thoughts on Rittenhouse, by the way. It'll be interesting to see that verdict come on. Where should people find you? I know they know, but in case they are new to Professor Kevin Barrett, where should they go? Uh, first, truthjihad.com, as you mentioned, and look at my Substack, maybe click on the subscribe at Substack button. I put out a lot of stuff on Substack. And then I also publish it at UNS, uh, the UNS review, UNZ.com, which does have some stuff that uh, people, including myself, find offensive, but also has some amazingly good stuff as well. Kevin, I love having you on. Regards to Rabia, by the way. Uh, Godspeed to you, and I look forward to next time. Thanks, Richie. Appreciate it. Bye for now, Kevin. Uh, Rabia is Kevin's wife, by the way, in case you're wondering. Kevin Barrett speaking uh, to me this afternoon, live from Madison in Wisconsin. Check him out at truthjihad.com. Lots of your messages came in. I'll, I'll quickly rip down uh, a few of them now. Uh, but before I do that, um, I suppose I'd better do this, hadn't I? Yeah. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yes! Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! Sounds terrible, yes! the picture's not that great. Yes! Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience, and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously, ensignfilms.co.uk. You're listening to the saviour of independent media, Richie Allen. Welcome back, welcome back. Hanging in there, I'm hanging in there. 
Lots and lots of fluids, lots of fluids. I've been doing this for the last couple of weeks. I've been riding the microphone fader. I've been riding the fader, which means I'm regularly turning my mic off so I can have a good old cough. It's the cough. It's the persistent cough, isn't it? Didn't I say at the beginning of the programme that I wouldn't get into that? Okay, I did. I think somebody sounding remarkably like me said they wouldn't get into it. So I won't get into it. Uh, let's see. A number of you are telling me that you believe that the vaccines are already doing a very good job as far as depopulation goes. Yes. Um, a number of you have that opinion. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we know. You, you need only look at the reporting systems. We know that the jabs are doing bad things to people. We know this. I'm fascinated by the prospect that not all of the jabs are fully loaded. Sorry, I should say fascinated by the theory that not all of the jabs are fully loaded. Get my drift or catch my drift. That you would give the full jab to a certain percentage of recipients, but you would withhold it, maybe give saline solution or something else, or water even, to others. That would make sense to me. It's difficult because you're not evil, I'm not evil. Dr. Evil is not even really evil. But it's difficult for us to put our put ourselves in the place of the the scum behind the agenda, you know, to imagine. But um but now I'm just going to do that very thing. No, I'm not really the point I was making, I suppose, if I was running it, I'd be like, well, yeah, maybe this round of three. Because this is a dose of three for the moment. It'll be four by by next spring, won't it? Three. So you had two shots, then a third shot. So for the round of three, you might have said, well, let's give 55% the real jabs and give 45% placebo, namely saline or, or something like that. It's a possibility. Hi to Joe. Uh, public, you're talking about older people. <clears throat> a number of you are asking, do older people still exist? Do the over 80s still exist? Yes, they do. I'm sure I see some of them. <laughs> they huddle together, the over 80s in Salford, um, by the bus stop near the supermarket. Hi to Bridget, uh, who references Professor Brindle, or Brindell, from the University of Guelph in Ontario. The higher the vaccine uptake, the higher the cases. And that's the same in Waterford and Gibraltar. That's right, Bridget. The more vaccines, the more cases. Didn't Dr. Pat Morrissey make that point on the programme last week when he was on with me? I'm sure I remember him saying that. Indeed, he did. Hi to Diane, who says, Richie, Rittenhouse will go down in history, right or wrong, says Diane. So Diane thinks Rittenhouse, all things being equal, if the story is a genuine one, think Diane, Diane thinks that he was acting in self-defence there. I don't know, really. I know there are a number of videos knocking around showing the actual confrontations and the shootings and stuff. I don't know. Look, you've got to keep an open mind. Or or I don't get to tell you what to do. Maybe I shouldn't say you've got to keep an open mind. You can think whatever you want to think. I keep an open mind. I always leave room for the possibility that what I think is wrong. So... Looking at it, I'm prepared to think, well, why not? Like, if you stir people up enough, and they are stirring people up enough, they are, well, it's not too difficult to stretch 
to get a young lad to get a rifle and to go running into uh, into an area of high tension. But I leave room for, for, for me being wrong and that the whole thing might have been one big setup. But, but that's not my default position. Some people, and even some of the people I like, their default position is that from the get-go, pretty much all of these things are massive setups. But that's not leaving any room for the possibility that you might be wrong. That this Kyle Rittenhouse might have been an actual event. The kid was being interviewed by the guy from the Daily Caller. He was all excited, wasn't he? I think I saw a bit of that interview before he ran into into the area where all the tension was after the black gentleman had been shot by the police. It's coming up for seven minutes past six. On the Richie Allen Show, I'm going to take some oxygen... Some steroid inhaler. And when I come back, David Hathaway, the sheriff, will be with me live from Santa Cruz, Arizona. He's a top man, so he is. From the Amazing Graceland album, Paul Simon and You Can Call Me Al, 1986. That is the year. I'm really excited about reconnecting with my guest this hour. We spoke with him back in late April, I believe. I'm sure it was late April. We talked about the fact that he became the Sheriff of Santa Cruz County in Arizona at the start, at the beginning of this year. Much loved by many of, uh, I suppose, his constituents, his neighbours, because of his refusal to chase people for not wearing masks, for not social distancing, and also for refusing to mandate COVID jabs for his own staff. And of course, he gained national media attention in the United States for for his humanitarian stance. It's an absolute pleasure. So much to talk about, by the way, because I mentioned at the top of the programme, he sent me an incredible communication from the Department for Homeland Security about the things that police chiefs and sheriffs like David should be looking out for, you know. You know, domestic terrorists, but but conspiracy theorists. We'll get into all that live from uh, the great state of Arizona. Let's welcome back Sheriff David Hathaway. David, you're very welcome back. I'm so pleased we're reconnecting. How are you? Well, thank you so much, Richie. I'm doing fantastic and uh, so glad to be on with you again. That's uh, it's brilliant. And do you know when I mentioned you were coming on on Wednesday, uh, uh, Tuesday, and thanks by the way for putting up with my messing around yesterday uh, and reschedule, rescheduling with me. But when I mentioned you were coming on on Tuesday, the most common question that came in through the website was, how is the sheriff getting on, Richie? He, he had all of this pushback from city officials and town officials who didn't like the fact that he wouldn't Locked out that he wouldn't crack down on the mask refuseniks, all of these and, and and the social distancing, all of these months later, how is it now? How are you getting on? Well, you know, I'm I'm doing fine as long as you have the love within the family. You know, that's what matters. And friends like Spiro Skouras here in we we call and message each other to kind of lift each other's spirits. You know, just to. Uh, I think that's one of the the silver linings on this black cloud that's you know overcome the whole world the last year and a half is that people have started connecting personally and not so much just being the keyboard warriors uh, just trolling each other on the internet but actually talking to each other and coming up with a game plan at a personal level so I enjoy people like uh, like Spiro 
having him in this same state that we can uh, interact with him. But there's not a lot of love within the authoritarian government here. Um, you know, we can get into some of that today. We have one of those hypocrite Republican governors that speaks out of both sides of his mouth. He has his COVID state of 100 days, you know, through the Trump administration and now into the Biden administration. Why does he do that? Well, of course, for money. Uh, he, he gets uh, he gets money coming into the state, but there's always strings attached to that federal money. So uh, I have in front of me, some, one of the things we can look at is this ridiculous executive order that he just did. It's the latest one. If you go on Governor Doug Ducey on his uh, website, list of executive orders. Uh, it has this really creepy name called the Enhanced Enhanced Surveillance Advisory. Usually yeah. they come up with a euphemism, something like the Rainbows and Puppy Dogs Act, you know, to make it sound <laughs> harmless or the Patriot right. Act or something like that. But ridiculous, the requirement that he's giving that, that everybody be tracked who's vaccinated, all their personal information be sent to the CDC. And that's the string that's attached to this federal money. So he has his uh, state crisis declaration, even though he's a Republican governor and he says he's against mandates. But at the same time, he tells everybody the shot is safe and effective. You should all get it. I got it. You know, this is our chance to end COVID. Uh, so he speaks out of both sides of his mouth. But if, if you'd like to get into that creepy executive order, I mean, we could start with that if you like. Let's start with that. So we're talking about Doug Ducey, the current governor of Arizona. You said to me, thanks for, for that. I, I look, I do have a look at your local newspapers there from time to time, particularly since we hooked up back in April. So 500 days or more now, you've got the emergency declaration in Arizona, more than 500 days. And that's all about the money. And you talked about this the first time you were on back in April. We'll come back to that in a minute because that's incredible how he gets that money and, and what the state does with it. But yes, let's talk about the executive order entitled Enhanced Surveillance Advisory. What does that give the governor the power yeah. to do? Well, you know, once again, he has aspirations to run for president in 2024. So he's trying to be all things to all people, a good populist, but tries to pretend like he's he's against the mandates and he stands for freedom. But let me just get right into it. It, it says, uh, pursuant to the Enhanced Surveillance Advisory, and that's the name of this executive order, the and these are the governor's orders. These are his, This is his word. Arizona Department of Health Services shall co collaborate with the following. The CDC and the HHS, which is Health and Human Services, both federal entities, by sharing the state's COVID-19 immunization and vaccine administration information with the CDC and HHS pursuant to and in, in accordance with its data use and sharing agreement. So, of course, he has to sign uh, these agreements. This is the deal he's making with the devil to sign this memorandum of understanding, this MOU with the feds, that by taking that money, he's going to share back all this information for their national tracking databases. So it says it will be shared through the Immunization Gateway Project. And this is like there's a private entity called Health Current that actually is the company that sends this stuff every 24 hours to the feds. And you're not going to believe, Richie, the specificity of what they're, what they're requiring be shared. Um, this is not anonymized information. This is not metadata. It says, once again, Ducey's words with his signature at the bottom, pursuant to the Enhanced Surveillance Advisory, an individual, comma, 
healthcare provider, comma, or local health agency who administers COVID-19 vaccine shall report the following through a department-required format to Arizona Department of Health Services every 24 hours. And then the agreement with the feds requires it to be shared with CDC and HHS. But here's what must be shared. This is Ducey's words. A, the individual's name, comma, date of birth, comma, gender, comma, race slash ethnicity, comma, residential address, comma, phone number, and vaccine priority group. So, um, and he doesn't give you the option to, to opt out. The creepiest parts are yet to come in this thing. So he's required that um, the individual's name, date of birth, residential address, and phone number be shared with the feds so you know they can come knocking on your door and make sure you've been a good little boy and gotten your second jab. Uh, also, they have to share the vaccine product information, the lot number, the route of administration, and the administration site on the patient's body the month, day, and year of immunization. Now, you would think, according to HIPAA and ADA, we all refer to these things as patient privacy statutes, patient privacy um, mechanisms that allow a, a, an individual to preserve their health privacy, to keep that doctor-patient privilege. But no, he makes it where you can't even opt out. It says, um, pursuant to the Enhanced Surveillance Advisory, Arizona Department of Health Services shall collaborate with HealthCurrent, that's the private gateway entity, healthcare providers and health plans to make all COVID-19 related data, including but not limited to COVID-19 immunization and vaccine administration information accessible through the statewide health information exchange for any purpose permitted by the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. So it makes it sound like by referencing HIPAA, that he would protect your your uh, patient privacy. But look, look at this, here's the last line. Such information sharing may be permitted regardless of whether any individuals have opted out of having their individually identifiable health information accessible through the health information organization pursuant to Arizona revised statutes, Title 36, Section 3803. So that law is a state law that's the medical privacy law in the state of Arizona. I have a copy of that in front of me. So he's saying, even if you have opted out using the law that says you have medical privacy, th that your information must still be shared. And let me just show you that, that state law. This is Arizona Revised Statutes, Title 36, Section 3803. This is the medical privacy law. It's entitled Individual Right to Opt Out of Health Information Organizations. It says an individual has the right to opt out of having the individual's individually identifiable health information accessible through a health information organization by providing notice as explained in the Health Information Organization's Notice of Health Information Practices. So back to Ducey's memo, he says, even if you've given notice and complied with the law to opt out of having your information shared, it still must all be shared with the CDC and HHS. So this is your national database with everybody's status, their social credit score. You know, people wonder like, you know, how, how could this possibly roll out, be rolled out that everybody's in a database? This is, this this is not happens. metadata. This is your residential address, your phone number, your date of birth. This is how it happens. And does the executive powers given to the governor of Arizona allow him to to say, 
we can get by the Arizona state law that protects your right to privacy. I can't believe that an executive order would be would be permissible if it uh, if it was 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 attempting to override state law. No, you're exactly right. It doesn't. And I have that in front of me right right now. Like some states are different. Some allow 28 days, 24 days where the the governor can act with exec by executive decree by fiat, fiat governed by fiat until the legislature takes over. In Arizona, it's 24 hours. <laughs> and 20, there is actually a group that is protesting this. I, as sheriff, have received hundreds of letters, I think probably a thousand letters, these affidavits, notarized affidavits that were sent to the governor and to all the sheriffs in Arizona demanding that he stop sharing their information and demanding that he rescind his uh his emergency declaration. And let me read you right out of this affidavit that I get hundreds of these and the governor has as well. This is what his legal powers are as far as a state of emergency. And this is reading right out of this affidavit that's been sent sent by, by a group in Arizona, the individually signed affidavits from individual addresses from thousands of people in Arizona to the governor and to the sheriffs. It says, you cannot create new power or authority through executive order. You cannot govern by decree without limitation. In this respect, you also failed Arizona Constitution, Article 5, Section 4, and Arizona Revised Statutes, Title 26, Section 303, which states, quote, the powers granted the governor by this chapter with respect to a state of emergency or a state of war shall terminate if the legislature is not in session and the governor within 24 hours after the beginning of such state of emergency has not issued a call for immediate special session of the legislature for the purpose of legislating on subjects relating to such state of emergency. And so that's that's right out of the Arizona statute in the Arizona Constitution. He has to convene a special session of the legislature within 24 hours, which he never did, so that they can write out the law here for the purpose of legislating on subjects uh, related to such state of emergency. So the legislature makes the laws in this state. We don't have, you know, a monarchy. A dictatorship, yeah. One of the founding fathers, I think it was John Adams, said, we are a government of laws, not a government of men. But people like government of Governor Ducey have made himself into a dictator, a government by men. And he doesn't want the Arizona legislature to make decisions on this. So to answer your question, question, Richie, no, he does not have statutory authority. He can't even he can't even infer that. It specifically says he has to turn this over to the legislature within 24 hours. So if there's an emergency, a volcano, a hurricane, a flood, uh, you know, he has 24 hours that he can act without the the legislature um, enacting, you know, controlling yeah. the situation. Is but the press all over this, David? No, of course no. not. They yeah, even, they don't even know about this. This I don't know why this executive order um, right on his website with the creepy name Enhanced Surveillance Advisory why it's not all over the media. And of course, you know, I'm being facetious, that's yeah. tongue in cheek, because Shame they're the all press. bought and paid, paid for by the pharmaceutical industry. 70% of Fox News funding comes from the pharmaceutical uh, yeah. industry. They're prohibited from touching these kind of things. So it's pretty safe for him to pu put this out. There's no investigative journalism anymore. There's nobody that'll go uh, dig through this very obvious thing that's right on his website, website and point out what it really is. And you don't have to go to some conspiracy website. You don't have to read between the lines. You could just read the governor's words that says you may not opt out and everything 
everything, all your person, personally identifiable information will be sh shared with the feds every 24 hours. And it's everything. Like you said, it's everything. Name, date of birth, resident, address, gender, everything. And you know, I'm thinking, so you've obviously gained legions of, of well-wishers and, and followers, quite rightly too, because of the stance you've taken. I wonder, is it exclusively Arizona or if other governors around the country are introducing a, a similar enhanced surveillance advisory executive order? I'd love to know that. Yeah, they would they would have done something the equivalent. They would have at the very least had the MOU, the Memorandum yeah. of, of Understanding, the sharing agreement with CDC and HHS, because that's the requirement to receive this federal money. You have to have at least that Memorandum of Understanding that you're going to share your data through the Immunization Gateway Project to the CDC and, and HHS. So, um they, they may not have done it as blatantly and openly, put their name all over it and put it and, you know, put it on a billboard, basically on his, the first thing you see on his list of executive orders on his, on the governor's website, but they would have at very least made their deal with the devil and signed the agreement to, to share all this to stuff. Share it. Can, I ask, can I ask you this question? This is plaguing yeah. me. We've got Sheriff David Hathaway, Santa Cruz, Arizona, back on the Richie Allen Show. Delighted that David is back. 27 minutes past six it is here in the UK. 27 minutes past 11 local time in Arizona. And big shout out to my pal as well, Spiro Skouras, if Spiro happens to be listening into this. Here's the $64 million question. We we guess that they know pretty much lots of things about us anyway because of our phones, because of everything. So they know where we are. They know who we are. I'm wondering why they're so keen to get the names, addresses, dates of birth, residence, details, gender of those having the job. What, how, what, what can we speculate as to why they're doing that? Well, you know, there's the whole talk of digital currency where you can't just go to the swap meet or the flea market and pay with cash and buy things yeah. that the government doesn't know if you paid your taxes on that or not. So, you know, the whole thing of a digital currency won't work unless, you know, everybody is tracked. And for those of the Christian persuasion, you know, they they talk about, you know, the, the mark of the beast and you won't be able to buy, sell or trade if you don't have the mark of the beast. But then people will say, look, that's kooky talk. There's that could never happen. It isn't ever be tracked. You could never have all your data. They might have your metadata, which is a euphemism they came out with several years ago. Metadata, you know, we'll, we'll know if your phone goes close to someone else's phone, if you're violating social distance, but we won't know by name. It'll just be kind of, uh, you know, a conglomerate, you know, uh, a mixing of everyone's information. But this proves, you know, they, they would need for the digital currency to work to have this uh, nationwide tracking system that has address, phone number, name, date of birth, all the same things that, you know, that key off your taxes and your driver's license and your bank account, which also can, yeah. contains all that information. You think, well, how will they do it? How will they, you know, get this information for the mark of the beast? Well, it, here, the saying, don't let a good crisis go to waste. Here's their mechanism for doing it. And this is the reason that they insist and the feds pay all these billions of dollars for advertising money to shame you into taking the shot so that they will get your money into the database. This this is the end game and it is personally identifiable information. It is not metadata. And if I could continue a little bit on this affidavit they've sent to, to the governor, they say, um, after quoting the statute, it says, you failed not only in the Arizona Constitution and the Arizona Revised Statutes, 
regarding the state of war and emergency in all of your executive orders in the year 2020 and 2021, not having the power to make new laws or mandates, a prudent and logical approach would have been to call the legislature into special session to make decisions as a legislative body, which you failed to do. And not only would it have been the prudent and logical thing, the law requires it, specifically requires it. And it says, we the people demand as our rights as the citizens of Arizona, that this quote unquote state of emergency declared on March 11th, 2020 be immediately rescinded pursuant to Arizona Constitution, Article 2, Section 8, right to privacy. No person shall be disturbed in his private affairs. And yet the state of emergency violated Arizona residents on many fronts from yeah. business shutdowns with financial loss to detrimental health and loss of life from postponed health care and isolated seniors in lockdown to a year of school missed by children across, across the state and your continued efforts to track and obtain personal health information from all residents of Arizona in direct violation of HIPAA. Um, as further stated in Miranda versus Arizona, quote, where rights secured by the Constitution are involved, there can be no rule making or legislation which would abrogate them. And so, and he says, they, they continue to say, Governor, if you believe that the above is untrue, please respond within five business days of receipt of this notice by affidavit with constitutional provisions showing where the people of Arizona gave you the power to infringe on our constitutional rights. If you fail to respond and fail to end the Arizona state of emergency declared on, on March 11th, 2020, within five days of receipt of this notice, you are agreeing that you knowingly trespassed against the people of Arizona. So, you know, that's why they're sending these affidavits to the sheriffs because, you know, who's going to do anything about it if it's, if it's not a sheriff, you know, he's the big cheese, He's the head of the executive, you know, uh, agencies, uh, executive branch of Arizona. So these individuals think they have no no other recourse but to appeal to the sheriffs. Amazing stuff, this. It really is. I said to my previous guest, I, I can't believe we're living through this. I genuinely can't with what's going on in, in Europe now, in Austria and Germany, and even here, they're whispering about lockdowns for the unjabbed. Sheriff David Hathaway is our guest. He's just been talking about something very serious. That's uh, he, he, the, the governor of Arizona, uh, Doug Ducey, basically ripping up the laws, ripping up the constitutional laws um, and uh, issuing executive orders which are illegal, uh, collecting the names, date of births, everything, all the important information about anyone um, who, who, who's had a shot. It's 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 maddening to hear this. We, yeah, and you know he also complies with all their advertising provisions. A lot of this money is is put given to the state so that they can advertise and promote the vaccine. So he has these programmable highway signs that are run by one of his agencies, the Arizona Department of Transportation, that hang over all the freeways in Arizona, and on them they say. Uh, get vaccinated. Now's your shot to end COVID-19. Now, if somebody speaks from authority, like a governor or a sheriff or a mayor, and they tell you, get vaccinated, and he tells everybody it's safe and effective, get vaccinated. If they speak from authority like that, how is that honoring informed cons yeah. consent? How is that leaving the uh, to the individual to analyze you know, the risks and benefits of well, the they're shot? Well, they're not. They're not. Where are not, those but, supposed but, to come yeah, down? He, he, but yet he wears the label of a Republican and he claims that he's for freedom. And he just signed off on a law that says he's opposing to uh, vaccine mandates and face ma mask mandates. But at the same time, 
he's being he's stabbing everybody in the back by requiring all their information to be shared and telling everybody they should still get vaccinated i'm not requiring it i don't believe in mandates but you should do it but you should do it yeah the the huge interest in this on the website comment live top of the page richieallen.co.uk it's all happening in lockstep around the world all of these things happening at the same time it's obviously not a coincidence and you thankfully um sent me it was great you gave me a chance to read it you sent me a directive from the department of homeland security which last week which presumably would be given to sheriffs like yourself and police stations and police chiefs uh, not just um, in Arizona but around the country called the National Terrorism Advisory System Bulletin regarding the current heightened threat environment across the United States and it's it's like Huxley or Orwell reading this. Oh, it, it is. Richie, I've gotten these since the beginning of the year and, and they're just so crazy and so Orwellian like you say and it's all talking about you know domestic terrorism but when they define what they're talking about it's all social media and online forums and it's all domestic you know it's talking not talking about space aliens or external threats from foreign entities like this it says national terrorism advisory bulletin so this is the latest one that I got I just got this one I think last week it says today Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas issued a national terrorism advisory bulletin regarding Regarding the current current heightened heightened threat environment across the United States. Okay, Richie, we got a heightened threat environment. What does that consist of? Let's read further. It says um, uh, the United States to continues to face a diverse and challenging threat environment as we approach several religious holidays. Ooh, and associated mass gatherings that in the past have served as potential targets for acts of violence. So, you know, we got Thanksgiving in the U.S. here and Christmas coming up and New Year's. So, you know, these religious holidays and associated mass gatherings, you might get together with your friends and and neighbors for, you know, a religious uh, celebration. And it says, through the remainder of 2021 and into 2022, domestic domestic violent extremists, and then they gave them a little acronym DVEs because that makes it more ominous DVEs including racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists and anti-authority and anti-government extremists will continue to pose a significant threat to our homeland of note these DVEs exploit online forums to influence and spread extremist narratives uh, the ongoing global pandemic continues to exacerbate these threats. So what are the commentaries that they're opposed to on social media? Commentaries about the pandemic. Uh, people saying things like, oh, this is just a scam. This isn't real. They've never isolated COVID-19. They've never isolated the Delta variant. Um, so that is the thing that they're looking at. Your online forums, your social media, where you're exploiting things like the global pandemic which continues to exacerbate these threats. And it says, uh, DVEs continue to attempt to inspire potential followers by exploiting recent events in Afghanistan. So like in in any war that the U.S. is involved in, there's always a media embargo on the the images of uh, carnage and blood and guts in Vietnam or in, in Korea, in Afghanistan, in Iraq. That's on purpose. But when the U.S. ended that war, the military industrial complex is not happy. You know, companies like Raytheon are like, oh, boy, you know, that big fat paycheck's not going to come every month from Uncle Sam. So 
that you're allowed to see some of the carnage, carnage at the moment and some, some of the violence and some of the chaos at the moment that the U.S. pulls out of Afghanistan. So, oh, that's another source of online commentary. Um, you know, the, the pandemic, the, the religious ceremonies coming up, religious holidays and events in Afghanistan. So, you know, we have to be on the lookout for commentaries about that. And it says, check this out, it says, Department of Homeland Security is also engaging industry partners to help identify and respond to the spread of disinformation, comma, conspiracy theories, and false narratives on social media and other online platforms. So this is an email that sheriffs get and chiefs of police get in the United States from the federal government telling us what their priorities are. And this is their priority, DVEs, domestic violent extremists. And what does that consist of? People who are making comments on social media or online forums about what? About upcoming religious holidays, about pandemic, talking about mass gatherings um, and, you know, or events in Afghanistan. So basically if you're opposed to anything that the, that the that the government's doing and here's other uh th this wording about uh, just before you get to that because the next bit I, yeah. I know what you're going to read next it's absolutely dynamite so before you read that uh, sheriff david hathaway is our guest this is astonishing stuff now i'll tell you why it's astonishing because again it's lockstep what david said there department of homeland security engaging industry partners to help identify and respond to this information we have something going through parliament here called the online harms bill I know you'll know all about that. It's expected to be given another reading in Parliament before Christmas. It'll be the death of the independent media if, it, um, if it's passed, and it will be passed either later this year or, or, or early next year. And what's spooky about it is what your Department of Homeland Security is telling you as the sheriff of Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz in Arizona. It's, it's the same stuff, the same wording, that talking about things could be harmful could be criminal. They're even proposing here, David, two years in jail for people who um, willfully wow. post misinformation about vaccines if that then harms somebody who doesn't get a vaccine. I'm not making that up. So this is lockstep. It's, this is no coincidence that this is happening everywhere in the world. And you're going to read out uh, a three or four line thing about people reporting that's just yeah it's incredible yeah <laughs> and, you know like you you mentioned disinformation yeah. richie well what's the definition of disinformation from their perspective anything that's like they said anti-authority anti-government yeah. going against their programs that's disinformation because it's going what happened to the free media the free press and how are they going to combat this so this last part gets into how they're going to combat it department of homeland security is prioritizing combating all forms of terrorism and uh, increasing information sharing as part of the national strategy for countering domestic terrorism. Remember, this is all domestic. This is all Americans, all you creepy Americans on social media, on online platforms, talking about the pandemic. That's what they're combating. So how yeah. are they going to do it? It says, to this end, the department has taken several steps to include um, increasing efforts to share timely and actionable information and by establishing a dedicated domestic terrorism branch within its Office of Intelligence and Analysis and by forming the Center for Prevention Programs and Partnerships. And they got to give that 
a cute little acronym CP3, you know, not C3PO from Star Wars, but yeah, CP3, because it's got three P's in it, the Center for Prevention Programs and Partnerships. So that makes it more legitimate that they give it a little acronym that they give it initials. And and what that's what's that going to do? This new Office of Intelligence and Analysis and forming the Center for Prevention Programs and Partnerships, CP3. It's to provide communities with the tools to help individuals before they radicalize to violence. And this radicalizing, they keep saying all year in these bulletins, just means online commentaries. And how are they going to do that? By increasing investments in grant programs to strengthen nationwide capabilities to detect and protect against these threats, to detect and protect against these threats. So what does that mean, grant programs? It means people like me, like a sheriff or a chief of police, they'll dangle that carrot in front of you, say, here's some money. But if you take the money um, to hire more people in your agency, um, you have to have them do these things that we tell you that they have to do, you know, like knock on doors of people that are making comments on Facebook. So they dangle the carrot so local politicians don't have to raise local taxes. They're getting federal money and all they have to do is hire people that are focused on these priorities. And if I could kind of show an example of that, um, you know, we talked before about Governor Ducey, Ducey's order where he's capturing all these federal funds. Some of the funds he's capturing is the American Rescue Plan. And what is that? It's $350 billion for eligible state, local, territorial, and tribal governments to respond to the COVID-19 emergency and bring back jobs. Okay, so that money's been given to my little county, Santa Cruz County here in Arizona. And what's that result in? I got in my hand a grant-funded positions, three positions opening up. They're called community health worker. What is the duties of that position? Here it is, duties. Uh, this is a current job announcement right now that's grant funded by the Fed. This is this money that Ducey's getting from the feds. Performs home visits, home visits to identify clients and provide program-specific outreach services. How do you like they call clients people who haven't gotten a jab? They go knock on the door. Have you gotten your jab? Have you gotten your second jab? What else do they do? It Persuaders. Says, duties and responsibilities. Enter program-specific data into appropriate data databases, including client records. So that's that first thing in that enhanced surveillance advisory. These people also going to be making sure all that personal information is entered and provide outreach services throughout community presentations, distribution of flyers, word of mouth promotion. And you'll like this, uh, uh, Richie, it says skills required. You know, so you need like either a high school diploma or a GED, so no basic qualifications, but skills required, persuading and influencing. That's one of the skills required, persuading and influencing. It's like you're working for a, a, a pyramid scheme. You're working with, you know, yeah, Barry Madoff yeah. to go, you know, to talk people into doing something against their interest. Another skill required is creative writing. So to me, creative writing means, you know, fiction. Like Lying. you, you yeah. know, say what you need to say. <laughs> And they want you to employ somebody like this. Yeah. I mean, this is... Yeah, they, they, yeah that is, that's what Ducey's actions result in. He thinks he's buying votes from Arizona voters by, by, buying, by creating his own emergency declaration so he can get all this federal money, the federal money under the CARES Act, under the American Rescue Plan, 
but there are strings attached. Like the governor in South Dakota, Kirsty Noem, she didn't declare a state of emergency. She hasn't taken any of these federal funds. So there are none of these federal requirements in South Dakota that she share the information or that she have people go knock, knock on doors with these grant funded positions. They're not federal agents, they're local county employees, innocent little county employees that are funded by a federal grant requiring them to knock on doors and encourage people to take the shots and have the skills of you know persuading and influencing. So it gives the appearance that there's a local push you know, uh, or people like sheriffs or chiefs of police, like they're, they're, you know, invested in this whole idea that everybody needs to take their shot or whatever else the feds want to, you know, pay you off to do. But it's all just grant funding that, uh, you know, Ducey gets and then hands it out to the counties and the cities so that they can do the bidding of the feds. It's just money, is it, for somebody like Ducey? Ducey's a stooge. And for him, it's yeah. money. And you mentioned, I think, earlier, you, you think he fancies a run for the White House in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, he and Governor Abbott from Texas, DeSantis from Florida, who DeSantis is doing doing a lot better. But um, yeah, and I've, I've heard that he's definitely, because he is term limited. He's on his second term. And in Arizona, you can only uh, be governor twice for two terms. So he's his term is over in the the new contenders to be governor in Arizona are, are stepping forward right now. So he's obviously prepping himself for something bigger. And I've heard from multiple people that are close to him that he's he's planning to run for president. I uh, don't know if I mentioned this when we first spoke. I don't think I would have done because it wasn't relevant. I spent much of my adult life in a kind of a state of agnosticism. You know, I, I certainly don't deny the existence of a creator and um, I'm open to that but I've not you know I've not practiced or I've not thought about it I've certainly not prayed and I don't say this to be flippant or to be disrespectful in any way you mentioned Mark of the Beast and I'm really open-minded to that now I am because I can read and as well as I can read I can also see what's happening and the similarities are absolutely uncanny because what you're yeah. talking about is true. The person who doesn't take the government-mandated medicine, and it won't just be the COVID jabs, it's all the other jabs in development, that person will be denied. They will be denied. They will be denied the right to, to, to trade, to buy, to participate, to live. And you know, I've never really believed in coincidences. It's, yeah, it's you know, all like there. If you look at the whole, yeah. the coincidental, well, the rollout of the digital currency thing that everyone's talking about. Oh, all these tax cheats, you know, they won't be able to yeah. avoid paying their taxes anymore because everything will be documented. And it'll be so easy. You just swipe a card or do a PIN number um, and it'll all be related to you. The funds will be related to you individually. And then if you think about it, they will allocate things based, based on carbon credits. Your social score could consist of, did you do your military service? Did you get your jabs? Did you do everything else you're supposed to do? And, you know, another, um, there, there's, there's multiple ways that they try to control the community and control local governments. Another one that's just, I've been fed up with is the CDC is turned into a legislative aid, aid entity where they have made rules in landlord, landlord tenant law, where, uh, you know, a tenant, if they don't pay their rent, they can't be kicked out or evicted by the landlord. Well, that's something for a legislative body Absolutely. to decide, you know, but they, and that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Another one that directly affects me, they made jail guidelines and I'm, you know, unfortunately in charge of a big jail here. And 
The CDC requires that every prisoner be locked up in solitary confinement and wear a mask and be tested regularly, PCR test. And guess what happens? Um, and I found out this was happening after I, I got in here. I found out that there's a quarantine pod as required by the CDC. How does the CDC get the authority to tell jails and prisons that they must put everybody in solitary confinement? So, you know, since last time we talked, I dug into how this works. And Everybody that comes in, regardless of their security classification, they could be a low security prisoner, then just picked up for shoplifting, that they picked up a Hershey's bar at the convenience store and didn't pay for it. They get arrested for shoplifting. They're all locked into solitary confinement, you know, just like they're Ted Bundy or somebody like that. And they're, you know, required to wear their mask all the time. And guess what happens? They all start to exhibit suicidal behavior. Uh. They try to kill themselves. They talk about killing themselves. So I made the decision a few months ago, no, we're not going to do that. The CDC doesn't have authority, you know, to tell you how to run a jail. These people are going to go into general population. Their security population, their security classification doesn't merit them being locked down. And guess what happened? A, a, a coven of lawyers descended on me from the insurance company that does the insurance pool for all the counties of Arizona, from our local county attorney telling me, you can't do that. And I said, well, look, um, we've been sued in the past, this agency for people committing suicides in jail. If I'm on notice that people are doing suicidal action because we're locking, locking them up all day and they on never see another, yeah. another human being, I'm on notice. And as sheriff, I'm required to do something about that. If I don't, I could get sued. But they say, oh, no, you have to go with the consensus. This is the same thing the medical community has turned into. It's like governance by consensus or treatment of patients by consensus. And they said, if we're sued because you don't lock everybody down individually and somebody catches COVID, if the county's sued, we're going to deny you coverage from the insurance pool where you will be individually held liable for that. Because usually elected officials, if they're sued, there's an insurance pool or a mechanism yeah. to pay the lawsuits if there's settlements. They said you will be held individually liable, personally liable if somebody sues, if they get COVID and they say they caught it in the jail because you were failing to lock everybody down and never mind the actual suicidal activities that are ha happening, happening in anyway. my jail. It, tell me this, David, tell me this, could you, it's, it's, it's disgusting, isn't it? In every sense, could you as the sheriff or somebody who has been appointed by you at the jail, could they not ask the incoming inmate, God love him or her, uh, for whatever reason, they're in jail. It must be a terrible thing. Um, could could you not say, listen, I, the last thing in the world I want to do is mask you up and put you in solitary. Um, do you want to sign a waiver? Maybe speak to your lawyer and maybe sign a waiver and say, look, uh, I prefer to be in general population. And if I get COVID, well, that's just the way life is. Uh, you know, I won't sue the I won't sue the county. Could that be done? No, because no. the standard I'm being held to is the CDC standard, oh. standard and they have like 27 pages about yeah. correctional centers and prisons and jails saying what you must do. And I'm thinking, how does this have any legislative or statutory or legal effect over me? But the attorneys have all told me 
you can't do that. They can't opt out. Why? Because if it goes to a court, they're going to look at what's the consensus. And the consensus, the consensus is determined in their mind, in the mind of the lawyers, by what the CDC says. That's what everyone else is doing. So that's what you're required to do. So I'm, I'm sitting there hearing this, thinking about my poor wife enduring a lawsuit, you know, our house, our property, me being individually, personally, financially liable, um, just because I don't want to lock people in solitary confinement that have a low security classification. And this is one of those issues, Richie, that only a libertarian would, would understand this because people on the right would say, um, you know, lock them up and throw away the key. They're all scumbags. People on the left would say, make them all get vaccinated, lock them all yeah. up, put them all, put masks on, put them, make them all do social distancing and separate from everybody else. So only somebody that has some minimal human compassion for their fellow human beings would see like, you know what, these people are getting suicidal. This doesn't make any sense. Uh, we should relieve that unnecessary pain and suffering. And it's actually in the constitution that says solitary, you know, that says you cannot, you know, punish people with cruel and unusual punishment. And it has been determined by the courts that solitary confinement is cruel and unusual Absolutely punishment. Right it if, if, if it's not done for, if you're a mass murderer, maybe they would consider it, but just somebody who stole a Snickers bar at the Circle K, deserves um, better. that's cruel and unusual punishment. Do you know what, David? Our media will, at the speed of light, criticise what happens in North Korea, and I'm sure it's pretty bad. You know, they'll criticise the Chinese treatment of the Uyghur Muslims, and if that's true, that's abominable. But what we're doing in our countries is the equal of it. It's just as bad. It's worse. We don't have any moral authority over any banana republic over or, or, or over any, you know, far right regime anywhere around the world. These things are these things are heartbreaking to hear. And I'm gonna say this, it's not my job, it shouldn't be my job to praise you, and I shouldn't maybe do it. I should maintain some modicum of objectivity, but I'm gonna say it anyway. You know, by releasing the Department of Homeland Security stuff by talking about it, you're in effect a whistleblower for talking about that. You're telling people that will right. not know that their government is 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 categorizing them without their knowledge is categorizing them as domestic terrorists and as people of concern just because they're talking about you know being locked down just because they're talking about getting a job that they don't really want they need to hear this i'm i'm so glad uh, my friend i wish to god there were more like you not just in your own country but over here as well um it's, well, it's good well, thank you richie because really you know i'm I'm kind of aware that I put a bullseye on myself for things like that. But like you say, um, if you don't have somebody <laughs> that puts out that information, people aren't going to know. Even if the media picks it up, they're, they're never going to run with it. No, they won't. I want to thank you for coming back on. And I want to thank you for supporting the independent media from the bottom of my heart and for connecting with people like Spiro, who's a terrific journalist in Arizona and others. And you have. You're incredibly humble, I think. But you have put a bullet um, a bullseye over you because um, you know they don't they, they they don't take people like you lightly they, they don't take a, a a kind view of people who who tell the truth and who reveal this type of information to people. I meant what I said, um, and and you know it, it makes me listen to you again. It's going to sound silly to my listeners, but it, it makes me take a second look at the whole idea of God because it's God's work. If there is a God. What you're doing is God's work. If I don't know if there is a God or not, but I know you you have a very deep personal faith from speaking to you before. What you're doing is is well, it's good work, and and I can't say 
more than that. Please stay in touch with us and consider the program uh, an open door. Anytime you want to come back, David, come back. Well, thank you, Richie. Would you mind if I gave out some contact information? Uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, just I have a real simple email, just sheriffdavidhathaway at gmail.com, just common spelling. And I have a website, charityendureth.com. I haven't added anything to that for a while. And I also write articles every now and then for the Libertarian Institute and lewrockwell.com if people want to read things I've written. Brilliant. What I'm going to do is the Char Charity Endures website. I'm going to get, I'm going to ask my friend Hayden to put a link to that on my homepage and leave it there. I don't know if it, you, you'll get much traffic, but I'm going to put it there anyway because it's the least I can do. Godspeed to you, David, and to your lovely wife too. And thanks so much for coming back on. Thank you, Richie, and greetings to your wife as well. Thank you. Thanks, David. Uh, the great Sheriff David Hathaway, live from Santa Cruz in Arizona, doing incredible work there, blowing the whistle on the Department of Homeland Security, uh, on, on Governor Ducey there, and, and the outrageous things that Ducey is doing. Uh, again, thank heavens for people like David Hathaway, and I do mean that. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. That information, that's staggering stuff, that. They're sending out, basically, missives, decrees, um, letters to sheriffs, sheriff's departments, to police stations, telling them basically to categorise people who are talking about COVID, who are, you know, criticising authority, to basically to consider them as terrorists, as, as, as extremists, DVEs, and to do something about them and to monitor, monitor them and, and also to encourage their neighbours and friends uh, to report on them. It's... Um, it's grim stuff, isn't it? That's it for today. A big thanks to Kevin Barrett and to Sheriff David Hathaway. I'm in theory with you on Sunday. I've not been well. I'm pretty convinced I will be with you on Sunday morning. But I've genuinely not been well at all. And I've been coming on air a lot in recent weeks. I've not been up for it, but I've been doing it anyway. We'll see how, how I am over the weekend. But um, I'm pretty sure I will be on with you Sunday uh, but I'll let you know in the meantime through the website richieallen.co.uk Closing out the programme with Todd Rundgren and There's a message in there somewhere Look after yourselves and one another and um, speak real soon